0: Would you join with me in prayer? (coughs) Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to lift up your name. Thank you for the opportunity to love one another healthfully and well. Thank you for the privilege it is to come together as your family. Thank you for being able to open up your word. So I pray that you open up our hearts to you even as we open up your word to us. And I pray that you fill us with your spirit. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, the Paris Canal was drained for the first time in 15 years for its quasi-annual cleaning. And um, amongst the tons of junk that they found in the canal were a bunch of bicycles, Um, and not even like broken bicycles, perfectly good bicycles. In fact, there was one bicycle that still had all the contents of the basket in the basket. The way that it had fallen, it had fallen and tipped over, and it held everything in the basket. In fact, uh, uh, most of the bicycles were in one neighborhood. We don't know why. I'm not just talking about a couple. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bicycles just in the last 15 years. Perfectly good. It's just bizarre to me that all this stuff was was sitting right there, this good stuff sitting right there, unwanted, unseen for 15 years. And the canal isn't even really that deep. It's like 10, 11 feet deep. But people walked to work every day wishing they had a bicycle, 15 feet from hundreds of perfectly good bicycles that they didn't even have any clue were there, hidden beneath the water. I mean, the water's murky enough, but it's also, they never even realized that they should be looking for it. Keep that in mind as you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's pick up where we left off. Because Paul's been teasing an application, right? He keeps teasing this application that he's itching to give us. He keeps saying, for this reason, or therefore I say, I'm going to, he's just, woof. so he's really excited to get to this. So we, I want to get to this. Because in Ephesians chapter three, verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, which means that we technically have to back up a little bit, right? Because we need to remind ourselves, because we're not reading it in one sitting like everybody would have read it. So I have to back up just a smidge to figure out for what reason. He had just argued in chapter 2 that Jesus had come and preached peace to you Gentiles who were far away and peace to those of us Jews who were near. Preached the same message of peace to both groups. It's just as true for them, fill in the blank, whatever them is, as it is to us, right? So if you ever think in terms of us and them, There isn't an us and them. Within the church, there is no us and them. It's just us. And the only them that is out there is a them that we want just to be us. The idea of a them that you separate yourself from as us? No. There's just us and people you want to be us. For through him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We both do. And if we are people of the same Father and If we both have the same spirit, how could we be divided between us and them? So consequently, you guys are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, just as much family, just as much citizens, just as much us as us is. Built on the foundation of the same apostles, the same prophets, the same Jesus Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone, bringing the two walls together as one wall with an angle. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's who we are, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, white, black, yellow, purple, doesn't matter. Conservatives, liberals, one household, one. Right? Is that me or is that, isn't that what Paul is saying? I think that's what Paul is saying. That's what I get from Paul. For Christians, we're all part of one household following one Lord. I may do X better than you. You may understand Y deeper and richer than I do. But if we're Christians, we're one family joined by blood. And not just a family, but a, a holy family. A family that's supposed to reflect this holy name of our Father, right? We're not just a family who loves one another, we're a holy family. And not just a holy family, but a holy temple for God. A temple that God's spirit fills us and overflows out of us toward everybody around us because we live in worship, which is an interesting concept. Because Paul talks about, you know, I'm continually, consistently, constantly in prayer, right? And we go, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. But yeah, I get where he's going with that. Do you believe that we, as a church, are the temple of God? I think so. I think scripture is very clear. Aren't there places in Scripture that indicate that you, you yourself, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Then you never leave the temple. You never leave church. All you do is go out in the mission field. But you never leave the area where you worship. So when Paul says, yeah, Do everything in worship. And Peter says, yeah, do everything in worship. And Christ says, yeah, do everything in worship. They're not saying artificially insert worship into your secular life. They're saying, you have no secular life. You're more a priest than any priest in the Old Testament was ever a priest. Because sometimes they left the building. And you never do. You never even leave the Holy of Holies. Because you are the holy of holies now and everywhere you step is the holy of holies for this reason you go aha that's my context because of what i just said there yep this for this reason because this family dynamic this lack of division this you are the holy of holies everywhere you step that's the context of this but technically isn't that the context of the whole letter isn't that where he started the whole thing? Back in Ephesians 1, he said, you know, the Jews were the first to hope in Christ, but then he tells the Gentiles, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's the beginning of his whole argument has been this. So this has been the context of the whole thing. So he keeps trying to get to this. He keeps going, okay, for this reason. He said for this reason back in chapter 1. He's saying it again in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Because remember, he's he's... Shackled to a a Roman guard in Rome, right? Under house arrest, and at night, he's literally chained to a Roman guard. That's what he's referencing, right? Sorta. I love this, because Paul's a very subtle writer. He's not technically talking about being a prisoner in Rome. He's using that phraseology because he's clever and cute. But does he say a prisoner of Rome? No, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Who cares what Rome does? They'll only be around for the next couple of centuries. Who cares what the Roman Empire does? We get so worked up, so caught up about, well, this president just became president, let's riot. Nope, no, nope, this president just became president, let's riot. Nope, this president, nope, this, nope, this, nope, this. I don't want to diminish or dismiss the importance of, Of who's doing what to whom but to Paul that's not his priority he's like oh yeah I'm in Rome and I'm gonna get ultimately sawed in half I know that that's incidental I don't care about that and I go yeah but I understand where Paul might say I am not concerned about rome and being shackled and ultimately dying by being sawed in half and i go i know but this guy might raise my taxes paul's priority again i'm not saying that other things aren't important but his priority is something a lot deeper and richer than that he says no 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 no. i'm chained by christ god himself has ensnared me. To do what? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, the reason that I'm chained to this Roman soldier, who, by the way, is forced to sit there and listen to me as I'm dictating this letter. So, you know, as we've talked before, who's really chained to whom, right? So as I'm chained to this soldier, I'm committed to preaching and reaching non-Jews like you guys. I'm here to reach out to Gentiles, like this Roman soldier who has to sit here and listen to me say that. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because I get to share the gospel message. Remember what uh, Jewish King Agrippa told the Roman governor, Festus, back in in Acts? He said, this man could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And Paul knew that. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to be set free. I don't wanna be set free. I don't really feel like being shipwrecked and chained to a Roman soldier and not being able to see the people I love. All things being equal, I'd rather be in Asia. But I want to be here because being in Rome, seeing Caesar chained to this guard is a means to an end. By being a prisoner here in Rome, Paul's able to reach more people, reach a deeper section of the population. He's able to do more for the church Paul is using Rome. They're like, yeah, but we're the ones with the pointy sticks. We're the ones with the armor. We're the ones who are chained to you. We're the ones that are ultimately going to kill you. And he goes, yeah, you're like my puppets. Because all this is what ultimately I can use. All things being equal, rather be in Asia. And yet Paul says, no, I'm here for the Gentile's sake. For your sake, my sake, I'm here to do this. I'm a prisoner of God. Rome just provides the handcuffs. Surely you've heard about the the administration of God's grace that was given me to me for you. Did Did I miss a verse? Is there a, a, a verse one and a half? Does your Bible have a one and a half? Yes. Because as I read it, verse 1 is not a complete sentence. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, because surely you've heard about that. Wait a minute. What happened to the end of that sentence? For this reason, I, Paul, what? He got so excited he couldn't carry on with his own thought. He is going somewhere. He was excited to go somewhere. He's been excited to go somewhere. This is the third chapter that he's excited to go there. But he got so excited about this outreach to the Gentiles, he interrupted again. Because technically, doesn't chapter 4, verse 1, pick up the same place? Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner. Chapter 4 goes, okay, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you guys. You go, wait, is the entirety of chapter 3 a tangent? Yes! Can't help himself but go off on tangents and say, this really cool thing makes me talk about this side little thing, and I love this little, this little i got to give you this little historical. Is there any reason I love this man? It's like, <laughs> my peeps. you know. I, I get him. This idea of like, okay, there was some place in particular I wanted to go, but now in Sunday school you guys bring up something interesting, so we're going to trot over here for a second, and I'm going to make it my way back to my notes. Oh, I didn't get through all my notes. I get this man. I get this, man. But not just because Paul can't stop being a teacher, not just because this dangly, cool, shiny thing makes him go, whoo, makes me think of another dangly, cool, shiny thing, but because this excitement is about how awesome it is that God is reaching out to the Gentiles. It's not just cool, dangly things. It's this specific thing where he goes, I I can't help but just share how exciting it is. God's reaching out to you guys. I spent my whole life as a Pharisee being trained that you guys are dogs, mongrels, that God is reaching out to you. Every time I think of it, I lose my place. Do you love the gospel so much that when you think about God loving the lost, you keep losing your place? Do you? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, I need to remind myself what an awesome thing it is. Not a, oh, I gotta share the gospel with somebody today. No! It's so cool that God said, oh, you hate me! You don't even know anything about me! You're all just gleefully sinning you're fighting for the wrong side. You are fighting on Satan's army. I love you so much. Let me die for you to bring you home. It's distracting. It should be distracting. How awesome that is. Paul gets distracted. All the rest of this, you can skip it if you want. We'll just go to Should we just skip it and go to chapter 4? I don't think so, because I think it's here. All right. I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. I mean, surely you've you've heard about that, right? Because I've lost my track now. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you guys. I can't even get to the point I wanted to get to, and I've been itching because this is so cool. I mean, that is... this mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly back in chapter 1, I said something about the God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Now when I say that word mystery, you could be tempted to, to run off with the English word mystery, and that's a, that's a shame because they're not quite the same thing. Every once in a while there's something in, in Greek that's not quite the same thing as English. Go figure. In English, when you talk about a mystery, you think of a perpetrator, Somebody's doing something sneaky. Somebody's hiding something on purpose. Somebody is, the word musterion just means hidden thing. It's just something you haven't seen yet. It's on the bottom of the canal. You just don't see it. Oh, somebody's hiding under the bottom of the canal? Maybe, or maybe somebody just really doesn't know how to ride their bike very well. Or maybe the bike next to you was hidden. This one was written badly. Maybe somebody else is like, oh, I'm not riding it badly or hiding it. I'm just like done with the bike and didn't know where else to put it. They're all a mystery in that they're all hidden. You don't see them. It doesn't require that somebody is trying to pull something over on you. There's some really good stuff in the bottom of the canal that you're walking past on your way to work every day completely oblivious to because there's something murky between you and that or because you just had no idea it was there and no idea that you should even be looking for it. It's a mystery. There's a truth there. It's hidden from you, possibly on purpose, possibly just because you haven't figured it out yet. In an era like the first century, or let's be honest, like the 21st century, when mystery religions, or the modern version of the mystery religion, the infomercial, um, loves to dangle little truths at you and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a little puppet show behind, you know, flimsy curtains and say if you just stick around to the end of this infomercial or if you just give us twelve dollars a month or in the mystery of religions if you'll go through the initiations i will keep dangling little bits of truth to you and pull you along and then you'll learn a little bit more and then i'll pull you deeper a little bit 95 of why cults work as well as they do is because of this and how much we want to know the mystery we know something they don't know. We know something that those people are ignorant of. Oh, you've heard them talk about this and this and this, but if you look at Scripture, we're the only ones that realize this truth. Hint, if you're in a church where somebody says, we're the only ones who have noticed this in 2,000 years, it's a little pink flag that maybe you're in a cult. I'm just tossing it out there because they love that and it works because we want to be part of the informed us not the ignorant unwashed them right well paul says okay back when you had all these mystery cults offering for a price to share tantalizing bits of truth paul says oh there's absolutely a mystery here that you weren't aware of there's a hidden truth that's been sitting at the bottom of the canal i'm going to tell you everything I want to tell you absolutely everything and totally for free. Don't give me a dime for this. I, I just I want everybody to know everything, and I want them to know it more and more and more and more and more. My prayer, even at the beginning of this book, is that I just want you guys to know this completely and fully and more and more and more, right? I'm not hiding anything. The church doesn't hide anything. Christianity doesn't hide anything. We illuminate everything. That's the idea. In reading this then, he says, you're going to be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This is a free letter sent out there. I'm trying to explain everything. Help me explain it. I want everybody to understand this. Which is not made known to men in, order, in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. It's not necessarily that God's been hiding. It's that Christ had not come yet. All the clues have been put in place over the last several centuries and the setting's have all been set up and then God does this. And Christ comes, and congratulations, the canal is drained. This is what everything's been pointing to. And this mystery is, he says, this mystery is. And cut the commercial, right? Isn't that what we would do? Isn't that what we do? Who's been cut in this cooking show? And the person who's been cut is... Soap opera, pause. Commercial. And you're like, and you will sit there. You will invest your life in watching commercials which were not the original reason that you sat there wasting your time in the first place. You're like, no, I wanted to waste my time watching other people cook food I'm not eating. <laughs> I did not sit down to watch commercials. And you go, but you will watch commercials. You will sit there dutifully for five minutes, because you must know the mystery of who was cut in this round of this cooking show that is itself a rerun. <laughs> but somehow we don't have time to read our Bibles. That time I am feeling guilty. I'm amazed at the things we'll go. I want to knowledge and it's so important and the mysteries and you go Bible you go complex I want mysteries but like really simple mysteries I want a Ryan Johnson mystery that sounds really complicated but it's actually kind of stupid when you pull it apart that's what I want that way I feel like I'm in on the mystery Paul says there's this great mystery and it's been sitting on the bottom of canal for centuries the answer isn't in what, smoky pagan temples guarded by initiated monks who are hiding and burying the secret no the mystery is that through the gospel through the good news of christ's death and payment for our sins and resurrection the gentiles are heirs together with israel members together in one family shares together with the, in the promise of christ jesus that's the mystery that's the mystery. That's the thing that's been buried. Not sneakily buried, because it's all throughout the Old Testament, isn't it? I mean, throughout the Old Testament, that's what Paul, this is what God has been saying, and Paul's pointing back to Paul's already even said this multiple times in this letter. It's not that anybody's hiding it. It's just been sitting there and nobody knew to look for it, apparently. The only thing that's hiding is because you didn't realize it. The only thing that was hiding is because you never knew to look for the fact that there are no longer divisions. And if y'all think that I keep repeating the same sermon over and over again, maybe it's because Paul keeps saying the same things over and over again in his letter. And if Paul keeps saying the same thing over and over again in his letter, maybe that's because he's like, just do this. Just do this. Do not division. Do that. How about not that? Yeah, but I mean... I hate Trump supporters, I just hate them, I hate them, hate them. And you go, then you've abandoned Christianity for a moment. Do your thing. I would encourage you come back to Christianity, please. I know, those liberals. They just, they're going to be the, I just, I can't, I can't even sit in the same room. Then you've abandoned Christianity for a moment. Come on back when you're done. Well, you know how... They are, fill in the blank, whatever they are. You know what they're like. I don't really, I don't like them. I don't, you've abandoned Christianity for a moment. Oh, wait, come on back. Oh, there, now you're acting like a brother or sister again. Why do I keep repeating it? Because we keep doing it. Why does Paul keep repeating it? Because we keep doing it. And he says, remember this mystery in verse, it was referred to back in verse 2, this administration of God's grace, this application of God's unmerited favor that he showed. The only real mystery here is that we didn't realize that it can't be merited. And if it can't be merited, one group can't merit it more than another, can they? So what are your divisions based on exactly? Well, we can't merit it, but I'm better at it than they are. But, 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 but. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel, a diaconos." a diakonos. Uh, The waiter who refills your water at the restaurant, that's me. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of the gospel. Unlike your basic mystery cult leader, I ain't glorifying or magnifying myself at all in any of this. I became a servant of this good news by the gift of God's unmerited uh, favor given to me. I didn't merit it. Through the working of his power. If that's how Paul sees his role in the church, how do we, if he's like, I ain't nothing but the lowest servant working here, I'm a prisoner willfully to this. I'm not saying that to complain. I'm saying that to say, that's where I stand. If Paul is like that, where are we? In fact, Paul goes on to say, although I am, the le- the, I am less than the least of all of God's people, this unmerited favor was given to me. I am, the, I am less than the least. Are you the least? No, I'm less than the least. What's the least? I'm under that. That's where I am. And I don't think this is false modesty. I think this is Paul saying, seriously, no division, no hierarchies, no pedestals. No. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. It's arguably our church. It's absolutely God's church. I'm less than the least of all God's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles this unsearchable riches of Christ, and then to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past has kept hidden in God who created all things, this grace given to me to be the worst mystery cult leader in history, the absolute worst one, because I'm out there proclaiming what can't be searched by the wizened. I'm out here making plain to everyone what mystery cults would totally keep from you I'm giving it to you for free where they would totally charge you something and I'm saying don't even remotely revere me. I'm not the Reverend Paul. I'm the I'm less than the least servant Paul. Call me Minister Paul, Servant Paul, not Reverend Paul. When a pastor is officially ordained, when when we agree that not only the congregation, but God himself has called that pastor to be that pastor, most denominations say yes, and thus he should be revered. Let's call him reverend. I feel very blessed that I'm technically, officially the Reverend Kevin Wright. I am so much more happy being called pastor. I'm a shepherd. I'm not... To be revered if you and I were chosen by God before the creation of the world if Christ has been God for always and and as death has been planned for since before God hung the sor- the stars and the Sun and the moon because as far as we can tell there really was an eclipse the day that he died and it was because that's the way everything actually lined up from the way it was originally created which means that God knew exactly when he was going to sacrifice his son exactly which day and where, before Genesis 1-1. And if that's true, if that's true, if you and I were chosen before the creation of the world and Christ's death was planned for before the creation of the world, all this before Genesis 1-1, then yes, arguably the gospel has been hidden for a while. If all that was set up back then, yes, it's been a little while while people have been waiting for Christ to come so that people go, oh, I, I see how this was set up this way. Yep, the gospel being applied to Gentiles as well as Jews before there weren't even Gentiles or Jews. That's been under the canal for a while. Not that God's been sneaky, but this has been brewing. This has been percolating since before Genesis 1-1. And Paul uses an interesting word here. I, I know, but uses an interesting word. The administration of this mystery. The word administration is like household economics. It's what a steward does when a steward takes care of somebody else's household, does the bills, makes sure that the... It's like the butler kind of thing. Paul says, I get to be that steward of this grace. I've given this grace to be able to do this and and, and to make sure that every one of you get to be stewards of this hidden gem of a household that you didn't even know was there, created and prepared by God since, well, long before any of us were in existence. And God's intent in all of this, Paul says was that now through the church through the body of christ the manifold wisdom which is an interesting word manifold it means not just multicolored but very very multicolored ridiculously multicolored like picture an amazingly complex quilt all coming together in a way that actually does work this complexity of wisdom all coming together his intent was that through his church this phenomenally complex wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is technically the same purpose he talked about in chapter 1. He said in chapter 1 he talked about his purpose was to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Isn't that the same purpose? You, me, them, whoever them is. Everybody, everybody. Is that how we see the church? Everybody. To bring everybody together. Is the church a hidey hole for good people? Is the church a safe haven in an unsafe world? Is it a comfortable place for people who look and act very similar to me? Or is it a tower of sanity and eternal life for everyone to run to, no matter how messed up they are? Of whom I am chiefly messed up. I'm reminded about how disgusted John was with Diatrophes in 3 John when he says that Diatrophes, this Christian, refuses to welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who want to do so, puts them out of the church. How could we possibly believe that we're all brothers and yet not welcome every brother and sister? We're all just ambassadors. Of the same kingdom, envoys of the same king's will, reaching out to those who have no kingdom, no homeland. All those people have been taken in by the ruler of the air, this puff of nothing, and think they have a homeland. You go, no, you literally have nothing. I think of Paul telling this young pastor Timothy and said, This is a saying worth remembering, Tim. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I currently am the worst. Remember that, Timothy. Try living by that. Not a bad way of looking. Ephesians 3.12 In him, in Christ Jesus our Lord, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, just like the writer of Hebrews taught us, to approach the throne because we have this high priest in Christ who understands our struggles. We can approach with confidence. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, and here I pictured Paul jangling his chains for effect. And so the, the <laughs> Roman soldier, for my sufferings, jingle, jingle, jingle. The Roman's like, yeah, I know. I ask you not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, jingle, jingle, for you, which are your glory, which is another interesting phrase. And I know he keeps saying that. He's a good writer, okay? He's just a really good writer. But I love that he doesn't say, which are for your glory. He says, my sufferings are your glory. They are your glory. They point to your glory. They are. Which is a really funky way of saying it. Think about it. He says, if you think in a worldly sense, as if the chains and the Romans were anything more than an incidental inconvenience, if you think in a worldly sense, then you're going to be tempted to worry and fret and stress about the fact that Paul's in chains about to get murdered, right? Yes? Yes? Maybe you'd even worry and fret and stress that they might come for you next. I don't know. It'd be natural. But Paul goes, yeah, but that's not, we're not natural anymore. It's not the way to look at it. I'm not worried about that. I'd prefer to be in Asia, but, but think about what it means that I'm not, he says. God loves the church in Ephesus and Smyrna and Peoria so much that he not only sent Paul to preach the gospel to them, he chained Paul up, to suffer on their behalf. He's like, every time you think of the fact that I'm in chains, realize God sent me here. Put me in chains. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. God did this to me for you, to reach out to you. You are that important to him. He sends prophets and apostles and messiahs to live and to die to reach you. He loves you that much. Do you understand where he's like, and I get to be part of that. I have no desire to die. I'm not particularly suicidal. But do you see where he's like, oh, all this so that we can reach you. And I started all this off by being so excited that God loves you so much that he's reaching out to you that I lost my place. And I get to be part of it. Like Christ, I get to be part of it. That's why you could tell the Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. Or why Peter could encourage us, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may you may, uh, uh, may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's an excitement to say, rather than saying, why is all this bad stuff happening? You go, it's happening because because God is trying to reach you. So when you say, poor Paul, don't go, poor Paul. Send me my shawl, it's cold here. Um, I'd really like it if, uh, if Wanda sent me some biscuits. She makes really good homemade biscuits. I'd love that. But don't feel bad for me. God's using me. God's using me to reach souls. God's using me to reach Caesar's household. I'm so excited about that, I'm losing my place my own argument. For this reason, he says, again, for like what, the third time? Ephesians 3.14, for this reason, and I'm going to stop there because we run out of time. I'll talk about this next week because he keeps going off on this tangent, right? But the tangent is because It's worth going off of. And I don't mind stopping in the middle of Paul stopping in the middle of his own tangent where he's stopping in the middle of his argument. But what can you and I do with that? With Paul's take on his suffering, should that affect our take on when we struggle? What about this big mystery? Paul's like, yeah, just reveal it. Reveal the snot out of it. Reveal the tons. Reveal all over the place. Put a spotlight on it. Seriously, reveal it all over the place. The excitement of being stewards of God's grace. Are you ever so excited about the gospel that you would lose your place? Work on that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that somebody who writes as well as Paul loses his place because he knows that what you're doing is so amazing. Give us that passion, that enthusiasm. Help us to love you and love one another that well. In Jesus' name, amen.